0: Hey, y'all, this is Rob, back with the Rob Report, courtesy of Filthy Rags Outreach. You know, um, before we get started today, I just want to uh, just put this in the air. You know, I just pray for God, you know what I'm saying, to make sure the right things are said and that it's received in the right way, you know. Also, I just pray for my family. My stepmom just went back to the hospital again and uh, stopped breathing, and she's doing fine. And just, you know, if you guys are out there, you know, pray for my family, and, you know, pray for everybody out there. You know, we got this war stuff going on with these people over there, overseas and different things, you know, the devil's definitely active. Um, What I wanted to say is last week we did an interview on Cheryl, and we're going to update the website. She's got court coming up this week, and we'll try to put some Skype information out there, and we just ask that y'all support her. And sometimes uh, just showing up in the form of a Skype is is support. You know, uh, a lot of people wanted to know how we can get her justice. And I think we just get her justice by just showing up for her when she goes to court so she feels a community, you know, and that right there will make the judges do the right things, you know, and I think that's all she's really looking for is the court system to do the right thing for her, you know. So I just ask everybody, when we put this information up there, please do your best and just uh, support her. And I want to continue as we do this work with Filthy Rags Outreach, I want to continue to be a, a voice for the victims and work with the victims of violence, you know, so Anytime you guys uh, feel you know a victim out there or somebody that we can impact their life, please feel free to hit Jessica up, or you can hit me up on the jpay www.jpay.com. My DOC number is and we can do some consultation, or you may just have some bad kids at the house or your kids is in gangs or involved in things, and you need some consultation. Well, we want to be there. You know, we want to do more for the community, and sometimes people want to reach out to somebody and just get some answers or have somebody to talk to, so we want to be that. Also, I want to say uh, on a not so good note, in the last few weeks, we've had like several officers murdered in the line of duty. And, uh, you know, I just want to say my heart goes out to those families because those are real people out there trying to protect the community. But what I think is really sad is that it's continuing to happen. And, you know, a lot of times we have these legislators and they uh, will use these type of things to ignore the sentence disparities. But what I'm really griping on is not the sentencing and disparities is that we have guys like my guy, Charles champion, who is uh from filthy rags outreach and he's been locked up for murdering a cop. And, you know, we can use his voice. His voice can be magnified out there. These people could work together with us and we can use his voice out there to speak out to people and say, Hey, this isn't the way things are done. This isn't going to, this is what's going to happen. This is what looking living on death row looks like. And I think that a lot of times that we're missing the mark and while we're continue to lose these officers out there I feel like there's an opportunity for us to work hand in hand to create more awareness you know so like you know that's just one of my uh one of my frustrations you know and I want to see uh my guy Charles get out because he really speaks out while he's in here he speaks out about stuff like that and you, you just got to use voices like that you know and it just, keeps, it just keeps happening so it's just really uh frustrating for me so I just wanted to uh, also say before we get into this interview, that uh, my guys LG and 2G, you know, they also represent for Filthy Rags Outreach, but they've been doing work out in the Hilltop community. So if you guys have time, Google them. They're on locatethenation.com. You know, so also what I want to do...
1: You have 60 seconds remaining.
0: When my 60 seconds is up, I'm going to come back and I'm going to interview this young lady that's out of Seattle that grew up in Seattle. Her name is Jamie, and I'm going to have her just basically... uh tell you guys things from her perspective because, you know, this is a white woman that actually grew up in the gang lifestyle, so I think this will be very interesting for you guys, so we're going to just call her right now, and we're going to get started with the interview. Jessica, real quick, I'm going to have to call you back, so I want you to uh, just go ahead and talk to the people real quick and give them the updates, all right? We have
1: 30 seconds remaining. Hello?
0: Hello, may I speak to Jamie, please? This is her. Hey, Jamie, what's up? You know you uh, you on the podcast, Filthy Rags Outreach. So, yo, I wanted you to uh, talk to the people and just tell them who you are and uh, just tell them a little bit about yourself real quick.
1: Um, yeah, so um, I'm Jamie. I am about 40 years old at this point in life. And uh, I used to, you know, run around with the best of them, hang around, gangbanging, selling dope, um, making all kinds of moves around town getting my little jugs, you know, basically I'd have my hand in whatever I could get my hand into, um, in regards to the street life and making money and hustling any way that I could. Um, you know, I, I personally experienced a a tragic incident with domestic violence slash gun violence that kind of changed the trajectory of my, the rest of my life. And so at that point, um, you know, I made a decision to change my life. And so I uh, went back to school. I got a double master's. You know I'm very proud and successful um, in my career at this point in time. and um, you know, I've really changed my life around, and it takes a lot of work and a lot of um, persistence to you know fix some of the mistakes that you made when you're living the kind of life that I was living back then. So yeah, I'm in a pretty good place right as of now.
0: Okay. Okay. That's cool, man. Um, you know, one of the things that you talked about was like the domestic violence and, you know, um, we definitely, uh, when we tag teamed up with you, we wanted you to actually lead our domestic violence unit here with the Sooty Rags Outreach. So we're definitely going to talk about that here in a few minutes. I just wanted to back up real quick because you were talking about the street life and the different stuff like that. And so I wanted to just delve into that just a little bit. Um, why, why, why the street life? What what made you gravitate towards that?
1: You know, that's a really difficult question, Rob, because I I didn't have to be in the streets. My parents were middle-class parents. I, you know, I I could have had a totally different life. I don't know what necessarily called me to that life. I don't know if it was puppy love. I don't know if it was a fascination with the lifestyle or just me being an impressionable teenager. I don't, I don't really know the exact reason, probably a combination of all three of those things. Um, and so I I chose that life, you know, I didn't have to choose that life. I, I I left home at 13 and I lived on the streets, you know, with the homies for a long time until I was about 22, 23 years old. So, um, you know, I think it was a, it was a mixture of all those things. And, um, And from there, I just, I was committed to living that life. You know, there was no turning back for me for whatever reason. I was in there for the long haul.
0: Yeah. So let me ask you, like, uh, you, you were like, you, you said you was getting your jugs for most people that don't know that that means you was getting your money. So like you was out there being a dope girl. So like, uh, what happened to, to make you go down that road? Like who, turn you onto that and start showing you that not not the person you don't got to say the names but you know like did somebody grab you and show you that or was everybody doing it and you want to do it how did that even come about
1: so I mean mostly from you know hanging around hanging around my boyfriend at the time watching him do it and all his homies doing it and you know for me I will you know, for me and my two homegirls, it was the three of us, you know, we were the, we were the three stooges. And for us, we, we was more of the girls that ran with the the dudes than, you know, the homegirls that hooked up with the dudes, you know, so we was more of like the hard type of females, you know, that was out there trying to get it just like the dudes were. We were out there trying to grind. We were out there trying to scheme and scam. We were out there trying to hit licks and, you know, get our money. And that's, that's just, the kind of girls we were, you know, we weren't into the whole dressing up pretty cute thing. We were wearing Dickies and, and Chuck Taylors and, you know, Ben Davis and all that. So, you know, those are the kind of females that I was running with. And, you know, we kind of just looked up to the dudes that we were messing with at the time. And, and we just followed their lead, you know, and we got tips and tricks from them and we learned from watching them dealing with all kinds of base heads and, and street folk, you know, we learned how to do that ourselves. And so, you know, from then on, the three of us kind of just, you know, did our thing. We did it together, we did it separately, you know, we did we just did it.
0: Right. Right. Okay. And and you know, and I and I wanted to talk about this too because like and I've talked about this a, a lot as far as like with the women in the game, a lot of times it seems really good. And I think that like if women hear this then they can also hear even though you're saying that i mean surely it's going to turn and there's going to be a reason for other women not to be into this type of stuff because eventually it's like it's, it's a no-win situation so i wanted to ask you because obviously you've experienced some of the violence and stuff so you've seen people die right
1: yes lots of people. okay
0: and then all right and so like and, and one of the things that i've always noticed like being in the game is like the women aren't never like you don't. It doesn't matter. It's like, am I am I right in saying that? Like you don't. It doesn't. It's like, oh well, okay. You know, it's close to home, but it's not me. And you guys are like, like, uh, really desensitized to this type of stuff. I mean, so correct me if I'm wrong.
1: No, I definitely think that you know we get des- des- desensitized when we when we see so much of it or we hear so much of it. Even, um, you know, I mean that even to the. Uh, sadly rob i probably hear more about it now than i did then you know all of the homies that we used to hang out with um you know honestly they're they're all almost gone you know and either they're gone you know to god or they're gone to drugs and so i I hear about it more now than i even did back then or maybe i realize it more now more conscious of it now you know one of those two things um So, yeah, but yeah, I I definitely think we get desensitized and, um, you know, it's sad and you stop and you ponder on it, but you don't really feel the emotions that you might necessarily feel if you weren't exposed to so much of it.
0: Right, right. So I wanted to um, talk to you about something else because I just, um, you know, I don't really know you that well, but I heard that you was like one of the uh, the, the, the hitters. You got some hands on you, right? So I want to just ask, did you feel did you feel like when you're like in the neighborhood and stuff like that, and then being white that you had to go just a little bit harder to prove yourself or, or was it just naturally, you just, it just, you just was a fighter.
1: Definitely had to go harder. Definitely. I mean, I definitely had to prove myself. I definitely had to prove that I wasn't going to be a punk in the streets and that, you know, a lot of females wanted to fight me just simply because I was white. You know, they just wanted to punk me and, and, uh, you know, back then it was like, it was like a big deal to be the white girl with the crew, you know, like you really had to be somebody or you were going to get ran over and taken advantage of and all kinds of stuff. Cause you're dealing with some really street smart people out there, you know, you really are. And, um, I think I really did have to prove myself. I know that there was a couple of fights that I had just to do that, you know? And so, um, yeah. Yeah. I'd
0: have to say yes to that. Okay. Okay. No, I dig it. I dig it. Now, also, because I've, I've seen a lot of this and I've experienced a lot of this too, right? And that's really unique here, you know, having you speak about it, but now I want to ask you on the flip side, because, you know, when you come up in like the neighborhoods that we come from, you know, normally, you know, you get to a point where like the next guy doesn't see the white woman no more. You become one of us, you know, and, uh. So can we talk about what that looks like where where our lifestyle becomes your lifestyle so much that now other people will see you and then people from your own uh denomination they, they don't look at you the same no more because you're with us or you know, just how does how does that look for you?
1: Um that's a great question actually. And um, you know, my response to that question is when you're younger you're not really looking at that. You're not looking at society and saying, how is society looking at me as a white person hanging out with these black folks or Hispanics or whatever the case may be. You're not really looking at it like that because you're just, you're too caught up in the mix. But as I've gotten older and more conscious of racial inequities and all of the mistreatment of our, our our you know, colored people out here, I definitely see how I am treated different for, you know, being on the same side or sticking up and defending my people or, you know, that kind of stuff. And I definitely, I I feel judged on a daily basis for that.
0: What do you feel? What do you feel? You're being judged. Do you feel like if you decide that you want to roll on some wheels or something or if you listen to some hip hop? I mean, what like what do you think that people see that makes them look at you and say you grew up around Like, Do you think they just look at you and they know you come from something different and they don't look at you like uh, you grew up in my neighborhood? Is it because you have a ism about you or is it is it just something they can feel?
1: I I feel like honestly I feel like um you know I feel like I'm experiencing a little bit of what y'all probably experience you know I do ride on some rims I do have some beaks you know and it's like I, I I still be rolling you know like that's just in me you know what I'm saying so like I'm. I'm 40 years old. Yes, I'm still uh, listening to my beats and I'm still playing my E forty from back in the day and I'm still playing too short and all that. You know, I'm still doing that, you know. And so, like, yeah, I will roll right on up to my job at University of Washington, bumping my E40 on my uh 24s. So, you know, I know people have to know, okay, homegirl is coming from somewhere, she knows somebody or something, you know. So I feel like uh, even though I'm even though I'm respected uh in my profession and people take me seriously, you know, I know that they in the back of their mind they know that I'm coming from something.
0: Right, okay. So you ain't neck rolling and rolling your eyes and all that other stuff then. It's just they can feel it (laughs) (laughs) then. I try
1: I, I try not to, Rob. I try not to.
0: All right, all right. Now I'm just gonna I'm gonna change subject before before I change the subject. You know what I'm saying? I know somebody that knows you. They said you got a mouth on you. So sometimes when you open your mouth, people start judging and uh oh. Yeah, that's true. Is that the case? It, it's all true. Right, I mean, right. you can't. Okay.
1: You know, you can you can't, you can't. You can't take it all
0: out
1: of you. It's. It's always gonna live inside you. Right. Just...
0: right. Right. All right. All right. So let me. Uh, let me change the subject on you. You know, um, you were uh talking a little bit ago about like um you you. You had a bad experience. Obviously, I don't want to. I don't want to even have you uh, dive into that experience. But I do want to say, um, prior to uh, prior to uh, us getting a hold of you, I was just speaking about like how there was an, uh, these. Uh, there was a rash of officers here. A couple officers got killed recently, and then it just uh, was. It just was told to me too that one of the last officers that got killed, uh, that the dude was locked up for uh, domestic violence and rape. And he got out, and he ended up killing an officer. And I, and I think that it's important for me to say this because like in prison, you have uh, domestic violence is never um, it's never really dealt with, you know. And so then you can get people that can go out there and they can still have those different rages, you know. Um, but what I want to ask you is like, what do you think is important for people to know about uh, domestic violence and how it, how can it tie into like the filthy rags?
1: So. You know, I've done a lot. I've I, I went through domestic violence myself. You know, most of my relationships throughout my life, I experienced some level of domestic violence. And, you know, m- majority of people, I'd say, uh, I think it's like 60% of, of individuals um, who were exposed to domestic violence, they, they experienced domestic violence as a child. And then, and then that exposure, you know, to domestic violence, whether they're victims or witnesses, it's often associated with long term physical, psychological, and emotional damages, right? And, and they carry those into adulthood. And obviously, that makes them a higher risk for engaging in criminal behaviors later in life and becoming a gang member and, um, you know, just continuing that cycle of violence. Um, now, with that being said, I think if filthy rags can successfully implement, implement a domestic violence program, which I believe we can, um, you know, I think we can start to address those cycle cycles of violence in prison and, you know, hold classes and hold teachings and bring awareness to what is domestic violence. You know, a lot of times these men don't even know that what they're doing or how they've been living or the relationships that they've been in, Or even have been affected by were domestic violence, and domestic violence can look like so many different things. And I think bringing that awareness to them and teaching them how to come out of those cycles and change those cycles, you know, so that their kids and their future relationships upon release, or you know, even if they're not released, the the relationships that they make in prison or with people on the outside can begin to heal and change. And I think we could instill those things in the men and women who our organization will be dealing with. I think we can begin to teach them, you know, what, what all the many different shapes and forms domestic violence comes in. Because a lot of people just think, oh, domestic violence is just some dude smacking some woman around. And in our reality, that's the easy part of domestic violence is the physicalities, right? The mental and emotional abuse that happens is what's really damaging. And and I'd like to put this out there too, is it's not only men out here doing domestic violence. I mean, by the time I was in my last marriage, at the end of my last marriage, I was just as violent and just as domestic violence as he was because that's what I had been taught all my life. That's what I had learned and that's how I had learned to communicate in a relationship. So, I mean, just as much as he was gonna knock me over my head, I was gonna knock him over his head. So you learn these things and, and, you know, sometimes women are more abusive than men. So I'm not putting this on either gender. I'm just saying that this, this goes for all walks of life. I mean, it goes for all people, all nationalities, you know, anybody can experience domestic violence. It's not just a man hitting a woman and that's domestic violence. There's a lot more to it. It's a lot more intricate than that. Right. Oh,
0: that's, 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 that's a lot of information right there. Um, One of the things that I was saying that you just said, too, is, like, you were talking about, like, getting that stuff inside the prison and getting that information. I think that's definitely important because, like I said, I see, uh, like, this guy that got out and just killed the officer. But I see people here all the time, and they don't offer nothing. You know, they'll tell you, like, uh, when you get towards the end of your your time, we'll give you anger management. But anger is anger management, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is anger management and domestic violence the same thing?
1: No, not necessarily. I mean they can be, but not necessarily. They can be two different things. You can be an an angry person and have anger issues and not be not not be hitting your partner, you know?
0: Right. Right. Okay. And anger anger management is
1: kind of a blanket a blanket thing that society uses to okay, let's go ahead and fix this violent person. It's not really, you know, a fix. It's something that's been around for years. And, I mean, there's some organizations out there or there's some people out there who really do intensive anger management. But for the most part, it's just a blanket, you know, conversation, learnings, right. and teachings, and, and that's it, and you move on. You don't really get right what you need to get out of it to change.
0: Right, right, right. And in my mind, too, going along with what you said, I feel like, yo, if a guy – if a guy's violent, he's got 25 years, and maybe he needs 25 years of anger management too, but then they give it to you right at the end and say, hey, don't get mad no more, right? You know, but you're on <laughs> right. your way out the door with no real skills. You feel me? So no, now I agree with you on that. Now, now, um, with you, with the domestic violence, how has your personal experience impacted your life, short-term and long?
1: You know, um it it takes the average person suffering in a domestic violence situation seven times before they leave the situation seven times so you might leave and then you go back you might leave again you might go back and this and this can span over uh, decades you know but it's about seven times before that person finally decides okay you know what i've I'm, I'm done with this i am ready to let go and you know it my own experience impacted me short term um I suffered from extreme emotional distress. I was constantly in a fight or flight mentality. I was, you know, always on 10. Um, um, wanting to leave, but not really having a way out, um, whether it was financial reasons or housing or losing my job. Those were some of the short term impacts and barriers uh, to leaving in the first place. For me personally, the long term is where it really got difficult. Right. So the short term was like, OK, how am I going to keep my job? Where am I going to take me and my kids? And, you know, that is a difficult place to be. But the long term is what you is somewhere you've never been before. It's, it's a whole new realm of healing and learning, you know, and that's where the, that's where things really get difficult. And for me, the effects of the abuse had taken such a toll on my mental health that it took me years to get back to being like the core of who I actually was you know, and not the person that somebody had told me I was over the last seven to eight years. Sometimes you can't find the same you that you were before you experienced all that abuse. So you got to, you know, create a new healthy version of yourself. And that's hard too, because sometimes people are like, well, I want the old Jamie. And I'm like, that girl is gone. You know, this is the new me and you're going to have to get to know the new me and love the new me if you want to be in my life. Um, and like I had mentioned earlier, you know, when I said domestic violence, you know, the physical and the, the physical parts, nothing, the emotional and mental part is the part that that causes the long term effects um, recovering from from these type of situations looks different to each individual. But for me, I was lucky to have a strong, supportive individual in my corner who actually helped me build myself back up and helped to put me back together. And I was lucky. Not everybody has an individual in their life that's willing to give that much of themselves to another person and help them heal. I was lucky to have that in my life. Some people, you know, don't recover from these situations and resort to drugs and alcohol or continue to use drugs and alcohol or suffer from both physical and mental disabilities for the rest of their life. There's some of these things you can't heal. You know, some of them is just Every situation is different and it just depends on the extent of what the person went through and how, you know, how strong they are and if they can or can't get through it. I've met some incredibly strong women over the years who've suffered from domestic violence and um, some of them are amazing leaders, some of them are depressed, and some of them just do the best they can. And, you know, I give kudos to each and every one of them that's just continuing to, to make it every day.
0: That's dope that you actually had, like, uh, I don't know who your support person was or whatever, but, like, it just leads me to ask you, like, when it, when it comes to, like, the services that were out there and, the like, the resources, you know, um, in helping you recover, like, could you speak to that? Because I know that me and you talked before, and I know that every organization is out there that says they're to help doesn't always help, you know, it doesn't always meet the needs of, of maybe what you needed at the time, and I'm not sure of your story, but, could you tell me what services help? And did you know, like, if there are services that don't help, could you speak to that, too?
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, I think it's 50-50 in regards to services and barriers. And um, I think the standard practice of our society is you call looking for help, and wherever you call, they're like, okay, you can call 2 one I mean, that is the standard answer. And I'm going to tell you right now, that is not helpful. Okay, you can call 211 and sit on the phone with somebody who's going to give you all of the local resources in your area that can help you, you know, so you're on the phone writing down all these numbers and all these resources, and you get to going through the list and calling each and every one of them. And I personally found that most of these resources were lacking any type of real tangible assistance or help, you know, like. They give you numbers to shelters and crisis lines and etc. And I'm I'm not knocking those because it absolutely works for some people. And so for those people that it works for, you know, kudos to them. But for people like me who I I had a good job, you know, I had a good job. And I didn't want to lose my job. I also didn't want to go to a shelter. I didn't want to be bothered by people like homeless people I didn't want to be around homeless people and drug addicts that wasn't going to be beneficial to me or my kids in my healing process to see more devastation that that wasn't going to be something that I wanted to do and so you know that wasn't helpful for me and um and so you know I didn't find those things to be helpful what I was seeking personally I was seeking privacy I was seeking somewhere play us. safe for me and my children to go to that had, you know, clothing, a washer and dryer, uh, food, uh, basic needs, toothbrushes, toothpaste, you know, all the shit that I wasn't going to grab when we fled our situation, you know, because when I finally said, fuck it, I meant it. Like, I was out. Fuck it. We got what we got. Get the car keys. Get, you know, get your backpacks for school and let's roll. You know, so that's how we that's how we left. And, you know, that what am I going to do about childcare? Because I still got to go to work. I still got to make money. I can't make my situation worse. And so for me, a lot of these places will say, well, we'll help you get counseling and we'll help you with a, a motel voucher for two days. And that's all good and dandy, but that's not a long term plan. That's not real tangible help. You know, and, and what I needed and what I was looking for, like I said, was privacy, a washer dryer a couple of outfits for my kids so they could go to school, you know, make sure I could wash my scrubs for work the next day, Um, you know, and just kind of a place for me and my kids to decompress, let my kids be kids, let them play with a few toys, watch television and like not have the fear of that person who was our abuser in the house, you know, getting ready to flash at any point in time. And so, you know, I think that most women would probably relate to that in wanting what I wanted, you know, we don't want a bunch of counselors sitting up in our faces and social workers asking us and our kids a bunch of questions. We're trying to digest the situation ourselves. We're trying to, you know, we're trying to figure out in our head, we're scrambling to figure out, okay, how are we going to survive? You know, what is my plan now that I've made this decision? And so for me, when I think about Filthy Reg's outreach and and how and the DV program that we can create I want it to be a place that's much needed. Like I envision having in, an emergency space for a single person or family, whatever the situation is, uh, in those first weeks of fleeing a, a DV situation, I want them to have somewhere to go and give them the feeling of safety and recovery and to use, you know, to use the space as they choose. Uh, you know, I want the space to have clothes and food and basic needs um, so they can collect their thoughts and to start making a plan for their new life and all the changes ahead of them you know i do want us to have you know resources available for them i want them to have individuals that they can contact you know through filthy rags outreach that says okay let's say my decision was okay i want to keep my job but housing is going to be a huge barrier for me i want us at filthy rags to be be able to say okay and i want us to be able to take that on with that person and let's find you some housing let's find you some private housing where you and your family can feel comfortable, safe, and start your healing journey. You know, like if the person's concern is, well, I don't have a job. And then if I do get a job, my children need childcare. Okay, well, let's reach out to so-and-so and and let's get the job in in place. And then we'll worry about the childcare next. You know, like I want real tangible things to happen for people that come to us seeking help. I I think, um, and I'm sorry to be so long-winded, but I really think that, Filthy regs being able to develop and create, you know, a one of a kind, no barriers DV program would be a step in the right direction to getting more domestic violence survivors to come forward and, and reach out for help.
0: I like it. I like it. And so when you, when you talk about that, those barriers were some of the, were some of the barriers for you just, uh, not being able to just have those different things or is that, is it like, could you have left sooner if, if your needs were met by some of these facilities or did they weren't meeting your needs and you'd have to go back uh, to your mate? you know what I'm saying? I'm just trying to get a clearer picture on that.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, there's several different organizations, like on the, I live in the East side of, of Seattle, and there's several different organizations around here that'll, you know, They'll they'll say you know like you call two one one and they're like okay um, this place will help you with rental assistance they'll help you with childcare and they'll help you with this they'll help you with food okay so you call the place up and you're like okay I'm calling you I got your number from two one one and um, I need rental assistance oh well we're all out of rental assistance right now call back on the first okay that does absolutely nothing for me you know what I'm saying absolutely nothing. When you are trying to flee a domestic violence program, you cannot wait three more days. You cannot wait till next month. You got to go. And when you're ready to go, you really got to go, you know? And so those are the type of barriers that I would run into. Or, oh, we offer food assistance, and they'll tell you, you can go to the Hope Link Food Bank. It's open from 2 to 4 o'clock. Well, honey, I'm at work until 5.30, 6 o'clock. And maybe I don't have a car to get there. Right. So how am I going to get that right. little basket of food? I, I mean, I appreciate it, but how in the hell am I going to get it? You know, and so it's, it's those type of barriers that really prevent somebody in this type of situation from leaving and, and getting out of these situations, you know. And the longer that a woman has to, or anybody has to stay in this type of situation, you know, every day is closer to a day that they might not see the next day you know so right. that's why that's why I, this is my outlook on things and this is my envision is a no barriers program is you you tell me what you need to help you and I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that that happens
0: I definitely hear uh, a lot of passion a lot of fire in your voice you know and then also like the, some of the barriers that you were just saying like they sound super uh super frustrating you know like uh yeah i mean i can kind of see why uh a lot of these programs don't work you know by you just explaining like you still happen to go to work and then they're telling you to go to a food bank and, and all these different things so like i hear exactly like i'm really hearing it now and it's like it's really resonating with me oh man uh, let me ask you this what do you think uh like some suggestions make it safer for victims and survivors to come forward? Like what you, like, we just talked about like some of the barriers. So like, obviously we want to erase some of those barriers, but what do you think just as somebody from that uh, would make it safer for them to, uh, to really just come forward and feel good about it?
1: I think developing a program that has access, you know, I mean, filthy rags developing this no barrier kind of DV program would be, you know, a step in the right direction, but hopefully we can incur, we can be, you know, my plan would be for us to be so successful with this venture. And I know that I know that I'm passionate about it, but I know that there's a lot of other passionate people at filthy regs. And I know that there's a lot of other people that we're going to come in contact with or already are in contact with that have similar experiences and who are just as passionate. And if we can develop this program and we can show our city and surrounding cities, and we can show our legislature and we can show our governors and we can show all of these people that pass these bills and these laws, how successful our program is, that that will begin to open up um, a plethora of other programs who will hopefully copycat what we started. And so we can begin to improve domestic violence, you know, worldwide if I dare to think
0: so big. Right. I definitely, um, I definitely agree with that. Like, actually this is, this has really been like a very, uh, very educational um, interview for me as well, you know? And like I said, because there's so many men, including myself that are in here and we don't look at like we're desensitized. Like, so, you know, slapping women and these different things that we've all done. Like, you know, we've never really taken a look at the misogynies and the different things and the music and, and how this type of stuff has influenced our behavior, you know? So I just want to ask you real quick, uh, before we go, because I know the time is going up. Do you think like, and, and I just want to say in the black community, do you think that some of our actions are, do you think that the music and some of the things that we hear in the music, uh, gives us that we don't care attitude about women?
1: Man, I don't even think it's strictly to the black community anymore. I mean, hip hop and rap and all of all of the, you know, the music that kind of started out with that. With the violence against women stuff, you know, it has spread so wide now that I don't even think you can just, uh, you know, pinpoint the black community at this point. Do I think that the music has an influence over, you know, uh, how men treat women in general? Yes absolutely there's some songs I listen to I'll put on something from back in the day and I'll listen to it now and I'll be like oh hell no I'm not I'm not bumping that <laughs> no way <laughs> you know what I'm saying I'm like oh hold up, let me that's not the cut that I right. remember it used to be you know what I'm saying let me turn that down so you know um right. yes I absolutely do think that it has encouraged it you know what I hate to say that because I love our music. I love our music. I love what it's done for the culture. I I love it. I do. And so I hate to talk bad about it, but at the same time, if we want to see change within our own communities and our own culture and not just the black culture, but you know, the hip hop culture and the way we live, you know, all of the people that are involved in this stuff now, you know, if we want to change the culture in general, I think, you know, it's time for some of these, the music industry to start taking a look at that. And I'm not saying, you know, that to take away all of that music and stuff, but, you know, to what, how important is that on a big scale of things, when you look at your community and how much your community might suffer from influencing all of our young people um, to be violent, how much what is the, the the benefit versus the risks and how are we going to weigh that? And, you know, how are the people that influence that going to take that seriously?
0: Right. No, you, you articulated that very well. And I wasn't just saying that against our community, but one of the things is, is that realistically with the filthy rags, I mean, we're going to be working with a lot of people from our community. Right. And a lot of people, including women like yourself, listen to the hip hop stuff. Right. And so I believe that the music does a lot to us, you know, so I just wanted to speak that out there because even when we look at, like, reforming, like, the gang reforms and the domestic violence and different things like that, I think if we start doing, like, workshops and different things like that, we have to address some of the things that are, that are being poured into us that comes directly from the music and then also just from some of the people that were around, because I'm going to be honest with you, you know, I was just sitting here just the other day and the dude was just talking about how, you know, how he just punches his woman out and he's getting ready to get out and he just says, um, you know, and it's like, I walk away from that type of stuff, but you have people and they just sit here and they laugh at that type of stuff. And the guy's already made up his mind that when he gets out, if she don't have his money, he's going to punch her lights out. You feel me? And so like, yeah. we just have a lot of, we have a lot of work to, to do, you know, and, and the prison is yeah. not going to get it done for us. And so we're going to have to bring a lot of this education inside the walls. You know what I mean?
1: Yes, I do. And I, and I think I think it can happen. I, I do think that it'll be a lot of work, you know, us getting inside that prison and trying to uh, build some type of partnership with D.O.C. and get them on board with what it is we're trying to do. I mean, that's going to be a feat in and of itself. Um, but I think with enough enough persistence and, and just drive, you know, I think anything's possible. And I, I think we can we could break that barrier, too. So I, I think we right. you know we can right. we can do that. We can definitely do that. It's just going to take a lot of work on our behalf and we can't give up and we can't we can't hang our heads low because we're going to get told no about 500 times before we get that one. Yes. And so we just got to hang in there and remember that.
0: Right. And then I just want to put this bug in your ear, too, because as you're talking, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, yo, OK, so check it out. You know, a lot of guys do come to jail. Like eventually, you know, you slap your woman or you punch her. You come to jail. But then you're you're going right back out there. So that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, if it, they look at it like simple assault. So now you might get a year in a day. And then, you know, that year in a day is six months. So now you're back out there. And then it's like, uh, you know what? Why would you put me in jail? Boom, this happens again. You feel me? So like what I think is missing a big component, like when we talk about barriers, one of the barriers is that the guys can't get the help they need in prison. You know what I'm saying?
1: Right. They don't re they don't they don't use the justice system what it's for it's supposed to be reforming. And they're not reforming these people and that's why they keep getting out and continuing to do what they do. And so, you know, if you took that year right. and a day that homeboy is getting in prison and he had to participate in an intensive he had to uh, participate in an intensive domestic violence program, then you might have something
0: there. Right. Right. Well, listen, Jamie, this has been a great interview. And I, and I hope that we can put something up there, just a big section on the website for the domestic violence and where people can always tap into this interview because it's been very educational. So I just wanted to thank you for your time and even, even though my prison phone's going to hang up, I wanted to know if you have any last thoughts and you can share those thoughts. And if my phone hangs up, that's great. But thank you again. And if you got any last thoughts, please say them, please.
1: Yeah, thank you, Rob. It's been my pleasure. Um, you know, I, I think that um, Filthy Regs Outreach, I mean, the, the basis of the program is 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 amazing. And to think that some guys from inside the prison have established something like this to work from the inside out is is absolutely astounding. And I think, you know, if we can get enough people on board and, and get some believers, we can really do a lot to change some of the, you know, injustices that are even being done to the men inside right now. We can we we got they aren't gonna help fix fix what's going on in there. And they've proven that over and over again. And so we we gotta help ourselves. And I think that Filthy Regs outreach is, is an outlet to do that.